The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at shadesvalley.org. Our scripture reading this morning is from Ephesians 4, and it's verses 1 through 6. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This is the word of the Lord. When Jonathan uh, suggested this passage as a possibility for me to speak on this morning, I immediately saw its timeliness. I, I'm, I really think it is a, a right now passage. In the ESV, which many of us are using, it's entitled as a paragraph, Unity in the Body of Christ. How much more appropriate can that be? With all the isolation and the unfortunate side effects of that isolation, what better way for us to thumb our nose at 2020, and I know many of us would really like to do that in a very polite way, and move forward and reemphasize our unity. As we look at the context and application of this passage, I want you to bear in mind, it's not just a call to how we relate to one another. How we relate to one another has an incredible impact on the world around us, uh, unless Jesus was wrong. Remember what he said, one of those very, very familiar passages that uh, love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another, and by, all, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It's an evangelistic outreach. Unity in the body, especially, trust me, especially in today's world. Unity is an almost unheard of reality. Uh, I'm going to pray and ask God to really open up because this is where Paul is calling us to a walk, to behavior, to obedience. It is based out of love and thanksgiving and appreciation for what God has done. It is not to earn his approval. It is acts of love and appreciation and thanksgiving. Let's make sure we keep that in mind today. Father, we thank you so much for what you've done for us, for your love shown by the birth and the death and the resurrection and the crucifixion of our beloved Jesus. Help us to really live in that not just to know it, but to live in it, to love that relationship that you have given to us and to walk in a way that is, as Paul says, a manner that's worthy of that high calling. Please help us, Lord, to find balance in that, but also, Lord, to be glory bringers to you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're just going to, all of... <clears throat> chapters 1 through 3 of Ephesians 
talks about the incredible position of who we are, what God has done for us. It's, it's an incredible passage. And what I've termed that is our wealth in Christ. The wealth, the riches that we have through all of that. Well, what we've done in that is that from there, he is now calling us. Paul is saying, based on all this wealth that I've been spent three chapters laying out, now I'm going to move into your response to that wealth. Look at Ephesians 4. We're going to really focus on the first three verses. <clears throat> I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness and patience, <clears throat> bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We're going to go through this verse by verse. For those of you that have heard me before know that's kind of the only way I know to do it. Why does Paul say, therefore? Why did, I mean, therefore is an important word. Why does he say it? Y'all aren't helping me a bit. Why do you think Paul says, therefore? Why is the therefore there? <laughs> yeah, why it's therefore. Yeah, you guys got it. Okay, I'll tell you why it's therefore. It's there because Paul is making the transition from chapters 1 to 3. And he says, because of the truth, the love, the power that's demonstrated all throughout chapter 3, there's a reason for us to live. Therefore, because of all that he has done, now we're moving into who we are, what we're walking in. The two terms I use there is our wealth. Look, just some of the things that he talks about there. Chapters 1 to 3 calls us, uh, called by grace to belong to Christ's body. We are raised from the dead and made alive in Christ. That's not, not bad, is it? And we're reconciled to God and to all other believers. So out of that incredible amount of wealth, he now says, okay, here's a walk to follow out of the wealth. And that's that chapters uh, 4 through 6, and we're just going to look at verses 1 to 6. The next thing that he talks about is he says, he mentions a state that he's in, where he is. He doesn't always do this. Why do you think he put in this passage as a prisoner for the Lord? Well, I, you know, I thought about that a while. And it was interesting as I came to, I came to the, the conclusion that there were two real reasons he's doing that. And I hope that these are, <laughs> I hope these are accurate. One is walking in a manner worthy of your calling in Jesus Christ. And as you're going to see, it's not easy as we go on. can be very costly. Paul was in prison because he walked in a manner that is worthy of his calling. Secondly, Paul would stand up and shout a hallelujah and say, but it's all worth it. Never forget, it's all worth it. No matter what happens, no matter the challenges, it's all worth it. Even though I'm a prisoner, and as we, we think, he's, on, uh, he's close to his, the end of his life being executed. He says, goes on, he says, given that situation, I urge you, therefore. Now, that's a really cheesy word, if you ask me, compared to what the Greek says. Because this, it, this really demonstrates Paul's absolute enthusiasm and desire coming out of his position and who God is. 
When he says urge you, it's a, uh, more than just kind of a simple nudge, like, hey, guys, this would be kind of a good idea if you did this. This is a verb that involves intense feeling, a strong desire. I tried to think about that. Okay, let's put the context. Bear with me. You're down seven points and it's halftime. Coach is coming in. Doesn't matter which coach you want to talk about. You can just put them in your mind. Coach is coming in. Hey, guys, you know it would be a good idea if we tried a little harder the second half. Is that, what, is that the way it's going to be? What's he going to be like? Okay, I know many of you are thinking of Saban, and boy, would he be upset. But whether it's Urban Meyer, which you hate, or, you know, whatever, and we don't know. I don't know the Auburn coach very well yet. But I guarantee you he would be fired up. If you're seven down and you're going into the second half, that's the same kind of emotion. That's the same kind of, of response that Paul is going for. Right here, you could say, Paul is coaching us up. That's what he means when he says, I urge you, therefore. Then we go on to the next part of it uh, that he talks about. <clears throat> to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. That term worthy is pretty tricky. I didn't really realize it until I got into a deeper study on it. So thank you, Jonathan, for pushing me into that. But that word really has to do with balancing the scales. Now, in the old days, and if you see the Lady Justice and her scales of justice, you would have a balance of scales. You'd put one thing over here, and then you'd put something over here to balance it. It didn't matter whether you were buying gold or whether you were selling gold, buying gold, nails, screws, anything, you'd put a weight here and then you'd put something over here to balance it. Now, that's what the picture is. But can I say right up front, we can't and God does not expect us to ever balance that scale. Does that make sense? That scale has gone boom, and there's nothing that we're going to do to bring a balance to that. What Paul is trying to say when he's talking about and using this terminology, I want to give you an idea of a way that you can walk that is worthy of that wonderful scale and that what God really is asking of you, not to even it up, but I would kind of like to get this up off the ground a little bit. <laughs> But he's saying, this is the manner. This is what I'm saying. This is the way. And it's not money. It's not power. It's not position. It's really interesting. What he says is those things that we're putting on this scale that kind of makes it waver a little bit are different than what we would think. He goes on to list what in, for, for old folks is called four graces. That's funny. You can tell how old the commentary is by how they term this one. Four graces, which means something that is given to you by God, but it also can be termed virtues, okay? We want to call it character traits. There are four character traits that Paul says, this is what you really, this is a focus to work on if you're interested in showing God your appreciation and your love to try to work on balancing that scares. Though he's not expecting you to, and you never will, this is, a, this is that process that he's calling us to. And it's funny when <clears throat> he talks with that, and he says, to do this, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, 
with all humility. I tell you what, folks, these four virtues are not going to be very comfortable. If you walk out today and you don't feel a challenge in your spirit, then I've messed it up because the word is really clear on this. But he starts out with that terminology of humility. And I'm going to read just a little short paragraph written by Warren Wearsby. Now, 25 or 30 years ago, I would not have had to have told you who he is. He is so well known. He was a pastor of Moody Bible Church when Moody Bible was the bell cow of all evangelical churches. He spent his life studying the Word. I've been in his library in his basement. It's huge. And he had a daily Bible, a daily radio teaching class, which that was, you know, previous to podcasts and all the things we have today. Every day he would go on that. It was called Back to the Bible Radio. And he had written out of that many pastors' libraries and layman's libraries. You'd find these little books about this big all along in a row. And they were the B books. He would say B something based on every book of the Bible. Now, there's one on Ephesians that happens to be Be Rich, which is being based upon those first three chapters. You are rich, now walk in a manner that's worthy of being rich. But here's how he defined humility, and I don't think I've ever seen anything better than this. Humility means putting Christ first, others second, and guess what? Self last. That's humility. It means knowing ourselves, accepting ourselves, and being ourselves. I like that. Knowing ourselves, accepting ourselves, and being ourselves to the glory of God. God does not condemn you when you accept yourself and your gifts. He does not want you to us, he does not want us to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to, or less highly than we ought to. The whole context of all we if all you remember when we leave is God first, others second, ourselves last. Here's a caveat. I don't know. I've seen that kind of that teaching to be misused. So just let me take a quick caveat that says, if you or anybody of you that are out there listening to this live stream or you podcast it, if you are in an abusive relationship, this is not intended for you. It is not to be used to say, always put yourself last. If you're in an abusive relationship, please, please, please tell someone and get some help. Don't let someone try to hammer you with the Bible in an abusive fashion and say, hey, you don't have any choice if you're a real Christian. But the other side of that is, (laughs) it is clear that our default position is to be one of humility. The only way we can get and do that is to put God first, others second, and ourselves last. Think of Philippians 2, which is just before the beautiful passage when he talks about, I want you to be this way because I want you to live out who Christ was when he came and he humbled himself even to death on a cross 
Philippians 2 verse 3 says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now we have to admit, that's fairly clear, isn't it? Well, John MacArthur, who many of you might have heard, there's one little line, he said, just as every sin has its root in pride, every virtue has its root in humility. Every sin has its root in pride, every virtue has its root in humility. Sounds like humility is an incredibly important thing, isn't it? Well, when I first have read these passage, this passage, I kind of saw them as four separate things. There are four different virtues, humility and gentleness and patience and uh, forbearance. And I just saw them as four things that just kind of out there. But one thing every commentator agreed on is, this is a flow. And it all starts with humility. Humility always produces gentleness. When I read that, I thought, whoa. Humility always produces gentleness. So if gentleness is not one of my strengths, then what does that tell me? Where am I struggling? In humility. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's talked about several, many different ways you can look that up in the Bible, how important it is and the impact it has on other people. In the old King James, some of you might have learned that it was translated meekness. If you remember that terminology. But meekness it, it does not mean that you're weak and timid and, and uh, all that kind of things. This term means power under control. Now, out of the wealth that we have in Christ, we have been given a spirit not of fear or timidity, but what? Oh, come on, you guys can help me with that one. Not a spirit of fear, but of power, love, self-control, or that one sometimes is translated differently, but of power. We all have power from the Holy Spirit in our lives. So we need to recognize that what we want to do is have that power under control. This term used in the regular world often was talked about for horses. And you've heard the terminology of that, you gentle a horse. Used to be you'd say you'd break a horse, but that was not really what was done. Not if you were a good trainer. You gentled a horse. Now, <clears throat> for several years, Pam and our family, we were, we were blessed to own Tennessee walkers. We had two Tennessee walkers and a pony that was a nuisance, but that's another story for another day. We had two Tennessee walkers. One thing you might know about Tennessee walkers is they're big. They are a large horse. 16 hands is the way many of them are. That's, that's a big horse, okay? They have a certain gait that makes them like it. My terminology is once you've ridden a Tennessee walking horse or another gated horse like that, anything else, it's going from a Cadillac to a Ford because you don't trot, you don't bounce, you glide. When those silly horses get into their walk, it's like going back and forth. It's not going up and down. I don't know how else to explain it. But it's a wonderful, quick, I mean, and they, they travel, cover some area. One thing that I learned in a very quick hurry, 
I love to mess with them. I would saddle them, bridle them, feed them, groom them, all these things. I learned in a hurry that horse is going to do whatever that horse wants to do. Anything that I'm going to do is because he let me do it. She let me do it. Ours were both females. So what's interesting about this terminology is the power is there, but the heart is one of humility that allows relationship and, and then gentleness. It's interesting, you may know, this is, okay, this is, a, this is a freebie, you may not know this one. If any of you have been around horses, one of the things that you learn in a hurry is horses can kick. So one of the first things that my friend trained me in was whenever you're walking around behind a horse, there's only one way to do it. And it's counterintuitive to what I would, to me, I'm going a long way around. Counterintuitively, it says, put your hand on its, on its withers, on its, on its rump. Let it know you're there and who you are. Keep the hand there, and as you move the hand, just walk right up till you actually brush its tail with your, your side. I mean, you're hugging right up against that big old creature. Now, there's two reasons why that's going to be helpful. Number one, a horse's kick, if it can't get a good swing at you, is not going to be nearly as, as painful if it's just a little before he gets at the accident. The other is, and this was true all the time, I never had a problem. The horse trusts you. It's not spooked. There's nothing to be afraid of. Just stay close and walk around it. That's the power under control. We have incredible power in God. But we also misuse that. When we're not gentle, all that we have in God becomes more of a pride issue than a humility issue. All right. Um, There's two things that, uh, well, no. Coming out of gentleness, it flows into patience. Humility breeds gentleness. Humility and gentleness actually breeds patience. Now, when we bring up the word walking with patience, all of us are sitting there going, well, that's something I'm short on. Uh, I definitely, you know, I don't even want to pray for it because we know how God can develop patience in our lives. And it's not usually a pleasant experience. But it is an outgrowth of humility and both that and and gentleness. Patience, one of the things I thought about this is these working together. It's a wonderful challenge to a Christian culture. For us and the other believers that we might know, churches we think, the challenge to us as a culture is to walk from humility to gentleness to patience with one another. This walks completely contrary to the world. Now, more than any time other than the Vietnam War era that I was lived in, I've never seen a greater divisions. Unity in the body, despite all of our differences, can be the most powerful evangelistic tool that's around right now, today. People are looking for that. The the word, again, uh, patience is when we consciously and intentionally evaluate our humility with God. I began thinking about this, and I'd like to say that this is never my case, 
<clears throat> but the, are you ever short? Do you ever get upset? Do you ever get frustrated? Do you ever act out like that? And, and far be it from us as believers, we never get angry. Okay? If we regularly find ourselves in that kind of a category, then we really need to go back to humility. Because what that's showing is we're not putting God first, others second, ourselves last. And when we, we, we need to evaluate intentionally our humility, where we are in standing in humility before the Lord, if that's us, if that's that category. Now, you could be like, you know, how many challenges do you have with a friend, a roommate, a spouse? And you ask them the question, very simply, or they ask you the question, are you angry? What's the immediate response? No, I'm not angry. Okay, then are you, you're being short, so are you upset, are you frustrated? What adjective do you want to find? The reality is, others can say, if we are regularly responding with that kind of a negativity, but instead of just saying, I've got to be have better self-control or even better spirit control, it's a demonstration. It's, it's God telling us, I need you to go back to humility. Go back and think through this. I want two, two different ways patience is used, was used uh, at that time, and they both can fit us today. And Paul had a reason to use both of them. One is a patient person endures negative circumstances and never gives in to them. A patient person endures circumstances and never gives in to them. Now that be, I would be offended by some people trying to teach me that, but not Paul. Can you think of anyone who went through more bad circumstances for God and came out of it walking with him and showing that patience? Beaten, stoned, imprisoned, all those things. So I guess he has a right to say that if you, patience is that you endure difficult circumstances, never give in to them. The second one, which is maybe more normal for most of us, the other side of patience, is it becomes a believer's reluctance to avenge wrongs. Okay, let's put that on for a moment. A believer's reluctance to avenge wrongs. Okay, if I'm impatient with someone because they did something upset me, they disappointed my expectations, they may have hurt me. They may have done something that was just, just bad. And I immediately want to avenge it. Patience means no. We hold that back. One thing about putting God first is we kind of let God handle those circumstances. But I, you know, sometimes I think God's too slow. And I want to jump on it. But the reality is patience is being able to cultivate in our lives. Now, one of the things you're seeing in all these, none of us, we're not going to get perfect in all these. Our whole lives, our lives of growing in all four of these, beginning with humility before the Lord. Um, another term, I, patient, I, somebody else wrote, and it said, uh, a patient person is one who can accept God's plan without complaining. And now that one, that one's, that's a challenge too. Accepting God's plan without complaining. All right, now we've flown, we've flowed down from humility down to gentleness, down
down to patience. And you think, okay, this next one's going to be one of those little sweet, wonderful little characteristics of virtues. And all he says is, put up with each other. Put up with each other. Bear with one another. That means, and we see it in other passages of Scripture, that means that sometimes you and I can be a pain to live with. That's one of the challenges in, in, in marital counseling. It's like you, you, you acted so nice and you were so wonderful all during the courtship. And then you get married and you have to figure out what it's like to live with somebody. That person now lives in my life. He takes up my space. He affects my, my time. Their mood affects me. You got to learn to put up with each other in love. It, um, here's one of the things that I like the way uh, that this is said. It's a decision and ability to put up with one another's frustrating behavior. It flows, it starts with humility, goes through gentleness, is refined by patience, and flows out as being able to love one another through our quirks, our faults, and our weaknesses. We're not always going to agree with each other, and we're not always going to behave in a manner that is worthy of the calling that God's called us. Do we give up our unity? Do we fight? Do we get mad at each other? Or do we bear with one another? Well, it's going to be hard to bear with people that are difficult to bear with if you're not walking in a way that is humility and gentleness and patience and forbearance or bearing with one another. The presence of these character traits, here's another word, little phrase I read that knocked me down. The presence of these character traits promotes unity. That makes sense, doesn't it? The absence of, the, the absence of them will jeopardize our unity. I can see where the good side works. But then when I'm going, oh man, that's true. It jeopardizes how we can be. And this is a matter of unity. Please think about it for a minute. This is unity. It means relational unity. It can have to do with your marriage. Is there a unity in your marriage? Is there humility and gentleness and patience and bearing with one another in the marriage? In the family, okay? Even if you have teenagers, man, do we have to work at it. They do too. See, those of you that are, might be teenagers or younger, some of these things, sometimes you think you're always right. That's one of the things about getting older is you begin to realize that's not really true. Humility is being able to accept God's rules and God's standards, not make them ourselves and hold on to them. Um, it also can, it relates to friends, especially he's speaking about brothers and sisters in Christ, meaning us, the Shades Valley. But it's also all brothers and sisters in Christ all throughout the world. And one of the things we know right from the beginning is this does not come easily. It does not come easily because notice the next phrase that Paul uses in the next verse. He says in, in the, the uh, verse 3 in the English version, what version are we using? John? Standard English Standard Version. Thank you. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. 
Now, that terminology, that term eager, is much more than what we would think of as our normal eager. What he talks about is that that verb, it suggests difficulties with a resolute determination to overcome them. means it comes hard. But we resolutely, with the power of God in us, going back to the wealth we have in God and from God, and it comes in and fills us, and we have a resolute determination to overcome them. Simply put, whether it's in your marriage, your family, your roommates, your friends, the body of Christ, the extended body of Christ, unity is worth fighting for. That's what he's saying. It's worth fighting for. It will at times be a fight. You have to resolutely determine to to make it happen. And the only way you can do that is to resolutely go back to humility, resolutely go back to gentleness and patience. Um, The opposite is normally we fight for ourselves. We fight for our rights. We fight not to be taken advantage of. That's what we fight for. What Paul is calling us to is fight for one another and the relationships that you have because that fight is worth it because that is what I'm using to demonstrate, God is using to demonstrate to the whole world that you're different. You're Christians because of the way you love one another even when it doesn't come easily. Going back again, one thing I know you'll probably walk away from is Christ first, others second, selves third. I want to say, it's kind of a sideline as an old guy looking in, I am really proud of this body. I want to say that to Jonathan, right, to the elders that are here, to all of you that have served, as I have watched and prayed for this body over these last months, you guys are weathering, as you well know, an incredibly difficult time. It's probably the toughest time of ministry in the 50 years that I have been ministering to the body of Christ, whether in small groups or as a lead pastor or as on staff here. It's tough. Look at the frustrating and challenging issues that you've had to walk through and disagree about and get past. I mean, all I have to do is talk about masks. There's no no issues or struggles about masks, is there? I mean, we all agree the same thing, right? Right, right. I don't hear much amen to that one. Social distancing, what does that mean? Do we open up because people are losing, have lost jobs and are, that are just in horrible situations? Do we open up restaurants and all these other things? Is there a right way? Is God saying, this is the way to do it? No, this is the way to do it. There's going to be on both sides. Um, I am so thankful for the live stream. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Because that's kept Pam and I attached. It's brought us some, some life, some good teaching, feeling of being connected at a time when it's tough to stay connected. But it's costly, and it takes a lot of work. And it's kind of a pain to have to live stream, isn't it? You can admit it. Yes, amen, I can do that. But it's appreciated. And now you're trying to do it. 
up there and up there and in there and out there. That's not easy. But because you care and you love, we're trying to give unity in the midst of all this. Um, I've been so pleased with the way the elders have, have negotiated it. May not have always agreed with every decision they make, but I've loved the way they have worked together and brought unity. I'm proud of the pastoral staff, all of them, and from the children's direct, all the different con controversial issues you've had to work, and you are living in unity. Not all churches have been able to do that. The ones that have, have, be, have are, and you were part of that, an incredible beacon to a broken world. So I just want to take that time out to say that, just let you know. I didn't even have to mention politics, did I? <clears throat> I won't, won't do that. As we conclude this passage, I just want to, I'm not going to cut it. We're not going to really spend time on verses 4 and 5 and 6. But we can't look at the first three without concluding with these last three. As the foundation, as the power, as the reality. And it's why it's so important for us to be unified and demonstrate unity. Because we are thereby giving a picture of God. When we have unity, we are showing the world who God is. Because there is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. It cannot be a more beautiful picture of unity in there, in the, anywhere in the universe. Let's just remember two, these two things, please, as we go, if you're on, listening on the live stream. The first is that our walk, which flows out of our wealth, always begins with humility. It just does. And therefore, I thought, you know, as I was thinking through this, you know, we're coming to the new year and we all make resolutions. We all want to do a better job of whatever it is we're doing in life. And I thought, you know what? I guess maybe all the resolutions that I have should come under one resolution I should put on my mirror. God first, others second, ourselves last. And every, everything under it would flow out of that, I, don't, I hesitate to call that a motto because it's a biblical thing. But if we just every morning got up and reminded ourselves, God first, others second, ourselves last, humility would grow in us. And as humility grows, gentleness grows. And as gentleness grows, patience grows. And as patience grows, bearing with one another grows. And, in, and what comes out of all that? A beautiful picture of unity in the body of Christ. And the last thing I want to say about that is remember that that is a powerful proclamation of who our God is. Remember that Christ himself said, if you want to have an impact in the world, Love one another. 
Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So it's not just a matter of growing in that unity. It's the impact of that unity.